This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Killar jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah! Carlson, yes! Welcome everybody to the first 2015-16 regular season episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools and in the cupful. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me as always is Brian Calm. Hey, Elon. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We have results to talk about today. I'm so excited. This episode is going to be so jam-packed. We have so many players in this list that we want to talk about. I have no idea how we're going to fit them all into one episode, but at the same time, it would just be too sad to leave any of them out. So we're going to do our best to jam as much useful information into this episode as we can. We want to help you figure out what from this week you can ignore while other people are going crazy over and what things you need to jump on, what players you need to jump on because of their success. That's going to be basically the topic of this episode. And before we dive into it, of course, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the site that you definitely need to be going to every day as the fantasy season begins because they have all of the fantasy hockey updates, articles, you know, line combinations, starting goalies. Did you know that Mike Comden is playing today for the Montreal Canadiens? I do, because I checked at DauberHockey.com. What an edge you must have in your fantasy pool, Elon. <laughs> is that dumb? Is that not good? <laughs> no, it's okay. One other feature I've discovered this season right at the start at Dauber Hockey is over at their Frozen Pool tool, it updates live with what players are playing with who if you just set the settings to be for tonight's game. You can see line combos as they happen. You can see what's going on in-game, so maybe you can even get a little bit of a jump on adding a player before everybody else realizes the next morning, oh my goodness, he was bumped up to the first line. Yeah, or in the case of us Plotnikov owners, he was actually demoted yesterday. By the way, we're recording Sunday morning. I'm not sure when this episode will get out. We're recording Sunday morning. Last night, yeah, when Pittsburgh was against Arizona, Plotnikov started the game playing with Malkin, ended the game on the third line. It's David Perron now on the second line. But we'll, we'll get to that a little further in the episode. Just to say, you could have found that out last night as the game was going at DauberHockey.com with their Frozen Pool Tool. It's a great site. Very proud to be presented by them. Okay, Brian, we've got to get this show started. And to lead off the show, let's talk about a number of new players in the league who are doing great. And these are the guys I think that are the biggest head scratchers because, you know, you don't know, like, this is just a new guy. Should I really invest in this person or should I just let him go and let someone else jump on him just because he had a couple of good games? And it's difficult to choose because on one hand, you don't really want to drop a guy you drafted who's a proven scorer at whatever level he is for someone who's only played two games. But at the same time, you don't want to miss out on someone who could turn out being like Johnny Gaudreau, who I actually dropped at 
last season at the beginning of the year. He had three points yesterday. So that's why we're going to go through some of these new players who are having hot starts. And Brian's going to let us know if he thinks we should jump on them or pass and let someone else drop the good player that maybe then you'll be able to jump on. And what better place to start than with hashtag Team Panarin! Artemi Panarin! He's so good! We've talked about him in the summer. I was really excited about him because I had read that he had played last season in Russia and did better than Kovalchuk. We all know the story. I drafted him in all three of my pools, and so far I've been very greatly rewarded. This guy's played three games now, and he has two goals and two assists in three games. Yesterday against the Islanders, a goal and two assists. He's playing with Patrick Kane. They are doing fantastically together. My opinion is, if Artemi Panarin is available in your league, you have to grab him right away. Brian, do you concur? I am ready to concur, Elon. All the hype that we've given him over the last few weeks, you can go back and listen to that and just nod your head knowingly, at least for now, but things seem to be looking pretty good for Artemi Panarin. He's living up to the hype with four points and eight shots on gold and three games played so far, and I've been watching the games and his line is clicking. And not only are they clicking, but he's looked to be a legitimate part of his line clicking. He's not just being a passenger, riding coattails, he is part of making goals happen while he's on the ice. And Elon, like you said, all the bargain opportunities to pick him up are probably gone by now, but if you have a chance, if he is somehow still available after the draft, after the first game, after the second game, now is the time that you need to go get him. He is looking like he could be a second-line fixture all season long for the Blackhawks right now. And that's in contrast to a guy like Toivo Teravainen, who has been bouncing around a bit as this year has gotten started. Yeah, going into the season, we were excited about both Panarin and Teravainen because Teravainen was slated to be skating on the first line with Hosa and Taves. But yeah, he's been on the third line for a lot of the season. Andrew Shaw has jumped to the first line. So Teravainen is definitely not a sure thing. Not that he's having a bad start himself. He's got a goal and an assist in the three games. But of course, we're looking forward. And the guy who is more of a sure thing to be able to keep up his production is Panarin. Also, I'll point out that in yesterday's game against the New York Islanders, Panarin played five minutes and 36 seconds on the power play. And as I scan through the list of players, yes, that is the highest Amount of power play time of anyone on the Hawks yesterday. Insane. Nothing more to say. Grab Panarin if you can. Maybe he is a sleeper Calder Trophy candidate at this point. Or Brian, am I getting too crazy now? Well, I do understand he's on pace to score more than like 300 points so far this year. So I get your excitement. However, I don't know if I'm ready to go that far. Especially since he might not even be eligible to win the Calder. But I see your point in that he's going to be one of the league's top scorers amongst players who are in their first year in the NHL. But there are a couple guys, Neen McDavid and Eichel, that might have a little something to say about that still. Well, that's why I asked if I was being crazy. But hey, better start for Panarin so far. Yeah, sure. He's grabbed the early lead amongst them. And let's just take it back to Teravainen for a minute. You know, we looked at Teravainen as somebody on that first line who we thought paid his dues last season and had graduated to like top six status consistently. It looks like that's not yet the case. He played most of last game with Brian Bickle and Viktor Tikhonov, which isn't exactly the best situation for putting up points. Meanwhile, you had Ryan Garbett up on the first line with Marion Hosa and Jonathan Taves. So don't rush to pick up Garbett. I don't think that's something that's going to last. I think the Blackhawks are still working things out. But one thing that seems to be worked out is that second line with Artemi Panarin. Okay, and maybe on a normal episode, we would keep talking about the Blackhawks for a bit, but we have so many players. So let's move on. I want to talk about another guy 
who is in his first year, or at least someone I hadn't heard of going into the year. Brian, you're going to have to give us some info about Oscar Lindbergh, who is probably the hottest surprise player right now, even hotter than Panarin, because he also has four points in three games, but all goals, four goals for Oscar Lindbergh on the New York Rangers. Yesterday in Columbus, he scored twice. I don't even know what else to say. Like, who is this guy? And is he going to be able to keep up this pace? Obviously, he's not going to be able to keep up this pace, but is he going to be a fantasy-relevant guy? Should people be rushing to pick up Oscar Lindbergh? Well, there comes a time in most episodes where I have to be the wet blanket when it comes to some really exciting new guy who's scoring goals. And this is going to be the first occasion on this episode where I am that wet blanket. Let's take a quick look at Lindbergh's history. A cursory glance shows that he's a rookie this year who was drafted in 2010. He's now with his second NHL organization after a pair of so-so AHL seasons. But now he is your NHL goal-scoring leader with four goals in his first three games. But to score those four goals, he's taken only... Seven shots on goal, which, if you do the math correctly, you will see that he's scoring on 57.1% of the shots that he takes. Now, Zach Parisi is scoring on 50% of the shots he takes, and that's also not sustainable. So why am I more of a believer in Zach Parisi continuing to score at a decent rate throughout the season than I am Oscar Lindbergh? Because there are guys every year who go on these runs at the start of the year, and it doesn't mean that they're not goal scorers. It just means that they're not going to be on like a 95-goal pace throughout the whole season. But with Lindbergh, from all the reports I've seen and gathered, it seems to me like he's more of a third-line type. He's not somebody who's going to produce regularly in the NHL, but he can be a serviceable bottom six player. And that means that he's not going to have a ton of opportunity to score points, even though he's making the most of what he has now. I mean, he's seeing third line minutes and he's seeing third line line mates. He's seeing less than 14 minutes of time on ice a game, and he has yet to see a smidge of power play time. So even through all that, he's managed to score four goals, and that's great, but I don't expect to see it continue. He is not somebody that I am looking to add to my team at this point in the season. Okay, so here's a case where maybe a lot of people in your league are going to be clamoring to grab Oscar Lindbergh. I'm seeing on ESPN that he's up to 12.9% owned, and that's from, I think, 0% owned just a couple of days ago. And yeah, four goals in three games is great, but like you say, he's doing it with an unsustainable shooting percentage, he's doing it with bad line mates, he's not getting power play time, so it doesn't seem like something that he can keep up. Kind of reminds me of Alex Chason a couple of years ago with the Dallas Stars when he was scoring in every game. And I remember you said on the podcast, Elon, don't worry about Alex Chason. He's not going to be able to keep this up. And you were right. Yeah, and more recently, Elon, if you remember, I'm not making a comparison at all, but another high shooting percentage guy we saw last year to start the season was Tanner Pearson. And we all know how that ended. I'm not saying Oscar Lindbergh is Tanner Pearson. He's a pretty different player, but I think you just suckered me into saying Tanner Pearson. Well, they might not be similar players, but in terms of their statistics, both of them are playing around 14 minutes a game so far this year. Of course, Tanner Pearson only has taken one shot on goal and none have gone in, as opposed to Lindbergh, who is on fire. But yeah, let someone else drop the proven guy from his roster to grab Lindbergh, and then you could maybe take a look at the scraps there. Yeah, I would say I'm almost definitely more interested in the guy that's dropped for Oscar Lindbergh than Oscar Lindbergh himself. Okay, and next on the list of new players who are having amazing starts, let's talk about Dylan Larkin on the Detroit Red Wings. In two games so far, he has a goal and two assists for three points. And to add to that, he has 10 shots on goal. He's skating on the top line with Zetterberg and Abdelkader. And by the way, I've got to mention, 
Abdulkader, five points in those two games. And now he's not a new player, so maybe he doesn't fit into the segment, but still, Justin Abdulkader, very impressive. Zetterberg, also five points. Not such a surprise there, but Dylan Larkin's the guy I want to zone in on here. Do we think he's going to stay on this top line and keep producing, or is this also going to be an Oscar Lindbergh-type flash in the pan that you shouldn't get too crazy about? Elon, just before we talk about Dylan Larkin, I think we need to do a little bit of an about face because sometimes we're right on the money with the players we talk about and sometimes we're a fair bit off the mark. And last week was one of those times where we were a fair bit off the mark talking about Andreas Athanasiu going into detail about his preseason, but not even bringing up Dylan Larkin's name. It had come up on our Facebook group before, but we didn't actually put it on the show. And for that, we apologize. So let's make good on it now. Dylan Larkin, he's pretty good. Uh, He was Detroit's first rounder in 2014. He was drafted 15th overall. He came up through the U.S. National Development Team Program, which has been producing more and more good players as of late. Then he played a year at the University of Michigan where he and his teammate Zach Hyman led the league in scoring. But the difference between Dylan Larkin and Zach Hyman playing for the University of Michigan last season, well, Zach Hyman was 22 and in his fourth year playing college hockey, Dylan Larkin was an 18-year-old freshman in his first year playing college hockey, and he was fantastic. He was scoring with all of the older kids, and he kept doing it through six playoff games once he was called up to play with Detroit's AHL affiliate Grand Rapids. He scored three goals and two assists for five points in those six playoff contests, and now in his third league in two years, he continues to score as he has in those other ones. And I think the thing that might cause a lot of people some anxiety when considering adding Dylan Larkin to their team looking long-term, is that once Datsuk comes back, well, that's one less spot in the top six. But I still wonder if there might be room for him after Pavel Datsuk comes back, maybe on the second line where right now Brad Richards is centering Nyquist and Tatar. There could be a possibility that they find a way to squeeze Larkin to keep him up there if he continues to bruise and play well, because he's looked good doing it as well. And this is also, I'm sure everybody saw like that little tidbit that Larkin is the first teenager since Yuri Fisher back in 2000 or 1999 to score a point with the Detroit Red Wings. This is a different team now. We have a coach who's familiar with the AHL players and familiar with that sort of age group and isn't unendingly loyal as Mike Babcock was to the older vets. And we've already seen that with Dan Cleary potentially being moved out of the lineup. So I like Dylan Larkin short term and I kind of like him for the next little while too. He's someone to definitely put on your watch list if he's not already there or on somebody else's roster. All right, so so far two for three. We're high on Panarin, we're high on Larkin. Not so much on Lindbergh, but yeah, would you say Larkin at this point, he's a must-add if he's a free agent in your league? Obviously, that's going to depend on how deep your league is, but I'd say if your league is the type that has a bunch of, you know, 45, 50-point players in your free agent pool, and you've got one or two yourself on your own roster, I might, just for fun, drop the guy off your roster and pick up Dylan Larkin just to see where it goes. Yeah, well, definitely a very strong start. He's currently not on the top power play unit, so that's maybe one small knock against him, but hey... Room for improvement. If he keeps playing this well, maybe they will put him on the power play. Definitely someone to watch. And yeah, definitely someone to add, I think, in most leagues. Let's keep this train moving. Let's talk about two other players who were drafted in 2014 that are now making impacts on their team. I want to start with Nikolai Ellers on Winnipeg. Not sure if I am pronouncing that correctly. 100%, Brian, you'll let me know. But, okay, not the amazingly flashy start that these other guys have had, but still, he's played two games so far, has one assist, 
But I think one thing of note is that he has 10 shots on goal so far. And he's got a pretty decent pair of line mates in Mark Shifley and Matthew Perot over in Winnipeg. So, Brian, I guess same question that I've been giving you with everyone else. What are your thoughts on Nikolai Ehlers? And is he someone that should be a free agent? Yeah, so Larkin was drafted 15th overall in 2014. Ehlers was drafted 9th overall and deserved to be taken there. He lit up the queue. In Canada, that means the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League with two consecutive 100-point seasons. Of course, in the queue, that's just good enough to finish third in league scoring. But he's now in the NHL and on a super fun line, like you mentioned, Elon, with Matthew Perot and Mark Scheifele. And this line looks, for all intents and purposes, like Winnipeg's second line right now. And if he's on Winnipeg's second line, I think that's a really good spot for him. He hasn't had trouble getting the puck on net in his first couple games, and we can only hope that that trend continues. The only thing we haven't been able to see yet is where he factors in on the Jets' power play. They've actually barely had any power play time over their first couple games of the season, so we really don't have a good sense of who's going to play where on it. He hasn't been one of the lucky few forwards on the ice with the man advantage, but that's something to continue looking for. For now, he's a super talented prospect, and the shot count is really encouraging. Yeah, if Oscar Lindbergh took that many shots, he'd have even more goals. Yeah, and if Ehlers was as good a shooter as Oscar Lindbergh, he'd have like five already. But anyway, I think what we're trying to say is that he is someone of interest. This is not just a flash in the pan. Ehlers is going to be a regular NHLer for a long time, and he's going to be a good scorer at some point in his career. It's just a matter of how soon can he do it. And the other guy I wanted to mention from that drafter that's making a bit of an impact is Robbie Fabry over on St. Louis. He scored a goal in his first game of the season against Edmonton. But unfortunately, yesterday against Minnesota, he got injured. I'm seeing now from Roto World that he is on the shelf. He suffered an upper body injury in the game. He took an elbow to the head, and we don't know how long he'll be out just yet. But Brian, assuming he's back soon, he's playing with Yori Laterra and Jaden Schwartz. Also not such bad line mates. He scored that goal in the first game, so is he someone that people should be watching? I think he is someone that people should be watching. He was drafted 21st overall in 2014 by the Blues, and he's getting a shot pretty quickly. He made the jump from Canadian Junior. Uh, he was playing in the OHL to pro late last year, and he scored four points in three regular season games with Chicago of the AHL, though he put up nothing in three playoff games with the team. But forget that because, hey, he scored a goal in his first NHL game and wasn't that exciting. If you saw the goal, you'll see that it was assisted by none other than Yori Laterra, and it was a gorgeous pass. And of course, Fabry needs to be pretty good to cash in on it in the first place, but let's just say he got a fair bit of help in putting it past the goalie. I like his line. He's a essentially stepped into Tarasenko's spot on the STL line. But even when Fabry comes back from injury, whenever that is, we still don't know much about it. I'm not sure how long he's going to stay on that line, seeing as that in the Blues' current line configurations, David Backus is like on sort of the third line with Dimitri Yaskin and Troy Brower. So I feel like that might be where Fabry is more likely to end up long term. Of course, we'll have to wait a little while to find out. But for now, I would probably keep my expectations tempered because that top six in St. Louis is already pretty crowded. So if I were to summarize what we've been saying so far of the five players we've talked about, you're saying yes for Panarin, no for Lindbergh, yes for Larkin, yes for Ehlers, and no for Fabry. Am I correct? Yeah, you're mostly correct. Maybe it's a maybe for Fabry or Fabry. I think he's from Mississauga, so I'm going to go with the more anglicized pronunciation. 
I would probably go with Ehlers first of the 2014 group because I think Panarin, we sort of established, he's for sure. And then if you have room on your roster, I think Ehlers, then Larkin, then Fabry would be my choices. Go in the same order that NHL scouts and GMs decided to draft them. Who could go wrong doing that? Yeah, I guess also a nice bonus for Ehlers is that he has left-wing eligibility on fantasy platforms as opposed to Larkin, who is a center and it's, there's a lot of good centers in my free agency in my leagues. I wish that a lot of these guys had other eligibilities because I have some people I want to drop, but my centers are strong. Yeah, always one of the deepest positions in fantasy hockey. And I would hope that you accounted for that a little bit in your draft by placing a touch more value on drafting players at other positions first. And I guess we might as well talk about another center who is having a great start to the year and surprising some people. How about Brandon Sutter over on Vancouver in his first game of the year against Calgary? He scored a goal and an assist. And then after that, his percentage owned skyrocketed on ESPN and Yahoo. He was one of the highest added guys. And why not? Playing with the Sedins on the first line and having a great first game. Yesterday against Calgary, not as good. Didn't get any points. He did take two shots on goal. And he did play over 20 minutes. Both of those games, he's played over 20 minutes. He still was with the Sedins on the first line. And he was on the top power play with the Sedins and Radim Verbata. So a great opportunity for Brandon Sutter. And he's been doing pretty well with it. What do you think about this guy? I think that my thoughts on Brandon Sutter have probably become pretty clear over the last year or so when I was upset how he kept ending up ahead of Bo Bennett on Pittsburgh's depth chart. Now I'm not so upset about him being on the first line, though, only because there are not a ton of other options available in Vancouver to play with the Sedins, and I think that really is going to work in Brandon Sutter's favor this year. When you're playing with those two, there's a lot of chance for things to go right, and that is what's happened so far somewhat to Brandon Sutter this year. I still don't think he's a guy that can do it on his own, so if you're adding him thinking that, oh, you know, he just wasn't getting the right opportunities in Pittsburgh, and now he's going to be fine in Vancouver, he's going to be a leader, I wouldn't get so excited. I think once he's off that top line, if he's off that top line, then you're going to see a drop in production from him. But for now, I mean, you could do worse, I guess. I'm still not super excited about him. I've never considered him a very good scorer. And also, he's been brutal possession-wise. Thankfully, the Sedins will probably overwhelm his own low possession numbers with their high possession numbers. But I think there might actually be a couple Canucks that I'm interested in before Brandon Sutter, not counting Radim Verbata. But I also saw Bo Horvat and Jared McCann score goals last night, and they both looked pretty good doing it. There are a few interesting players to watch on the Canucks early on this season, and that's mostly a function of their lineup just being, like, wide open right now. So you're saying as long as Sutter's on the first line, he's probably going to do all right, but he's not such a sure thing to stay there. Once things start going a little rocky, maybe they're going to start juggling, and he might be the first one to uh, pay the consequences there. Yeah, you know, I just don't see where else exactly in the lineup he could fit in, but I imagine once Van Vancouver does hit a rough patch and they can't score. I'm going to guess that Verbata gets the bump to that first line and then every other Canuck is going to struggle to score without the Sedins or Verbata playing alongside them. And by the way, I should mention, I said that Sutter's a center. I'm talking about according to his ESPN eligibility. He's playing right wing, of course, with Henrik Sedin playing center. So I guess that'll get updated soon and maybe that will bump up his value just because you'll be able to put him in a right wing slot. Hopefully our fantasy platforms will update their eligibilities soon. It is kind of frustrating when you're trying to set things up and you have to wait because you know someone is playing a different position you just need espn or yahoo to fix that up come on guys i'm sure they're listening so hopefully they'll listen and make those changes right away okay and just like sutter
Sutter. Here's a couple other guys who did really well in their first game this season and didn't get any points in the second game. Eunice Donskoy on San Jose, he scored a goal on the first game. And like we said in the preseason, he was looking to be playing with Thornton and Pavelski. And it looks like that has stuck. So that's a great situation for him, though he didn't have much ice time. And then Alex Burmistrov scored a golden assist in his first game for the Jets, but also he's on the third line. So maybe not someone worth watching. Am I missing anything with either of those guys, Brian? I don't think you're missing anything. I mean, Donskoy's value is probably limited to how long he plays with Thornton and Pavelski. That's a really good situation for anyone to be in. And more power to him if he can stick there and put up a few points along the way. Although we should, you know, put out a reminder to everybody that last season we were talking about Hurdle and Nieto and Wingles being cycled through that spot on that line. None of them stuck. And even when they were there, they weren't necessarily producing a whole lot. So I'm not sure how long Donskoy can stay there or keep producing there. I guess he's worth watching for as long as he is there. And Bermistrov, Elon, he said it was his first couple games with the Jets. Actually, it was his 195th and 196th games for the Jets. But I know you meant this season because he took a couple years off in the KHL on a little Russian vacation. Now he's back. And I think he fooled a lot of people with his return into thinking that he might be a point producer. I'd like to remind everybody that although he is pretty well offensively skilled, I remember even back in the Atlanta days seeing some highlight real goals from him. He's more of a two-way guy who can handle a little bit of offense with some pretty important defensive responsibility, and I imagine that's how the Jets plan to use him for much of this year. I don't think he's going to see a ton of scoring opportunities, especially since, you know, he kind of left the team and then came back a couple years later. I don't think they're exactly going to hold that over his head, but I do think that he's not going to get the opportunity to keep producing a couple points every few games. He's only got one shot on goal in both games combined, and that right there could be an early warning sign for the sort of offense that you can expect from him going forward. If you've already added him, I would take another look at your free agent list and see if there's not somebody who might be able to score a few more points more consistently through the year. Yeah, I'm going to make that a hard pass on Burmistrov. But I will mention again for the Sharks, and we talked about Don's going a good position. He's not a rookie, but it's probably worth noting that Joel Ward is on that second line with Couture and Marlowe. Definitely not a bad pair of line mates there. And he had two assists yesterday against Anaheim. So if Joel Ward is on your free agent list, maybe he's someone to look for as a depth guy. Right wing eligibility. Yeah, for sure. We either tweeted about him. We mentioned him somewhere. I think that's a really interesting ad. He's probably capable of being fairly successful, like at least a half point per game player if he sticks there. And also interesting, while we're on the Sharks, let's take a look at their second power play unit, which is kind of funny looking. It featured Thomas Hurdle, Joel Ward, Tommy Wingles, Matt Tennyson, and Mark Edward Vlasic. So you've got five guys there. Maybe we know one of them for scoring goals in Thomas Hurdle. We know Tommy Wingles for throwing hits and going on some scoring runs early last season. But aside from that, there's not a whole lot of punch in that unit. But it looks like they're giving them a shot, and that could be something interesting going forward to see if one scorer might emerge as the go-to guy on that second power play. 
So that was our rundown of some new players in the league who are turning heads with their first couple of games. Now let's go to the other side and talk about some older players, guys who have done it before and maybe were overlooked in their drafts or drafted really low because people were thinking, oh, this guy's probably over the hill. I don't think he's got it anymore. But some of these players who I want to talk about, these are guys who have started the season really well. And I want to know if Brian thinks that this is just a mirage or if these guys still have something to deliver to your fantasy team, something to contribute. Let's start with Francois Beauchemin on the Colorado Avalanche. I don't even know if we'd mentioned that he got signed by Colorado over the summer. That's how under the radar he was. But in his first two games with the Avs, he has five assists. Three assists against Minnesota, two against Dallas. Two of those were on the power play, so he's getting power play time. And in a league that counts blocks, he had eight blocks yesterday against Dallas and four against Minnesota. So that's 12 blocks on the year, five assists, all in two games. The man is 35 years old, but so far it's like the best start I could ever remember from his career. And that's even including his awesome years in Anaheim. So Brian, is Francois Beauchemin a must-add? Is he the Panarin of the old guys? It's been a really encouraging start from Francois Beauchemin, but I feel like we've seen this before. We see him get some blocks, get a few points, and then fade off for a large part of the rest of the season. The difference here seems to be that he is getting some power play time. That is something he did not see when he was in Anaheim. So if that sticks in Colorado, then he could have a little more persistent value over the course of the year. If you look, he already has two power play points. If you combine his previous 134 games before this season, he had five power play points combined. So this presents a good opportunity for Beauchemin. He and Eric Johnson are the only positive defensemen in plus minus over the first couple games of the season. Take that for what it's worth, but you know, it is what it is. And if he can keep putting up a few points here and there, his peripherals are enough to make him a worthwhile addition. Like if he can be on, say, a 30-point pace for the duration of the season and pick up two or three blocks a game, I think that is somebody worth looking at in deep leagues that do count blocks. Yeah, definitely seems like Patrick Waugh in Colorado has bigger plans for Beauchemin than Bujo did in Anaheim. You know, Brian, I've put in a waiver claim for him in the uh, cupful, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, every day at 11 a.m. We're using the FAAB system, Free Agent Acquisition Budget, and how it works is every day at 11 a.m. there's an auction for the available free agents, and we all have a budget of $100 going into the season. And I am willing to say, because this episode won't be released until after 11 a.m., but I'm going to try to get Beauchemin, because especially because our league has hits as one of our five skater categories. I'm convinced. I hope I can get him. I hope my opponents aren't going to be more clever than me and bid like $2 or $3. I think $1 should be able to get him, but I don't know. But you would say this anyway, even if the episode was being released before your bid was finalized, right? Just to be clear? Uh, sure. I'll say yes, even though we never release an episode before 11 a.m., so I don't see how that could ever be the case. I just want to make it clear that we are always giving all our listeners the best possible advice, regardless of whether it may or may not be a detriment to our fantasy teams to let out this kind of knowledge. Okay, yes, for sure. Brian, we're the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson and their keeper pools. We cannot accept any shenanigans like that. By the way, Eric Carlson, three assists yesterday, two on the power play. Thank you. That's who we should have led the show with. Yeah, probably. So, okay, we talked about Boschman, another old guy. There's a bunch on this list. A lot of blast from the past names, guys who would have been 
top draft picks in your fantasy drafts five years ago are playing like they should still have been this year. So let's go talk about Mike Camilleri now on New Jersey. Two games in, he's got a goal and two assists, getting, you know, top minutes, top power play. Everything's great for Camilleri. Last year, he had a good year, you know, like he got injured, unfortunately, and only played in 68 games, but he had 42 points in those 68 games. The year before that in Calgary, he had 45 points in 63 games, so an even better pace. The problem with him is he can't seem to play a full season. It's been a really long time as I look to the past to find a year that he played all 82 games or even 80 plus games. But as long as he's healthy, it looks like Mike Camilleri is a solid guy to have, right? Yeah, totally. I drafted him 219th overall for my cupful team and he is delivering so far he's been doing so well to start the season and somebody is going to score goals in New Jersey and that person might as well be him like you said Elon health is the major concern with him but if he can play games he's going to keep scoring goals and putting up points it's what he's done his whole career and it's what he's still capable of doing he's still like only 33 which of course means he's probably on that downward slope by now but it's not like he's 34 35 36 i think there's still some gas left in the tank he's going to see a ton of power play time He's going to see a ton of first line time. And I think he's probably available still in a lot of leagues. I know a lot of people might hesitate to pick up Devils, especially if your league counts plus minus. And we talked before the season started about where the ceiling is for any Devils player. But you can bet on Mike Camilleri being the top scoring Devils player should he stay healthy for the season. And that's probably worth something to your fantasy team. Yeah, I'd say a 50-point floor is almost certain if he plays the full season, and maybe he could even get up to, like, 60 points. Of course, again, it's the health. But in a head-to-head league, take him now, be happy. If he gets injured, put him on the IR, grab someone else. But yeah, definitely someone I'd want to have. And okay, Brian, I think I made a mistake here because we should have gone in a better order because we already talked about Boshaman on Colorado. And now I want to go back to Colorado because here's another couple of older guys who are having great starts to the season. Jerome McGinley has two goals in two games and Alex Tangay has two assists in the first two games. Both of those guys seem to be just ageless and both of them are on the top power play, believe it or not. So it's not as if they're just getting lucky. I'm looking at the most recent game and it was Tangay, McKinnon, Iginla, and Landeskog along with Tyson Berry manning that top power play unit. So great opportunity for Tangay and Iginla to continue putting up points and so far they're delivering. Yeah, it's really exciting to see these two guys still producing and over the course of their careers, we know that there's pretty effective shooters. Aginla has maintained a shooting percentage that's been over 13% for most of his career, even though in the last three seasons, he's actually been closer to 15% overall, which is great and a way that an older guy can adapt in his older years to playing in the NHL by being more effective with his shooting because it might be a little harder for him to get to the right places. So if he is converting more of his shots into goals towards the end of his career, maybe he's figured something out. Maybe he's figured out how to efficiently and effectively get to the right place and shoot in just the right way. I don't know if there's something else going on to explain that, but just at a cursory glance, that's what I see. And of course, we talk about Alex Tange as like the poster boy for high shooting percentages. His career mark is a shade under 19%. And again, I think guys with higher shooting percentages tend to do better into their older years because they can convert more effectively than other forwards who might depend more on getting garbage goals or skating past other players really quickly or always making sure they get to their one spot on the ice. It just seems a little more of a precise effort from Alex Tange from year to year, and hopefully he's still got more in him. And being on the power play, like you mentioned, Elon, that helps out both of them 
One guy missing right now from the Avs power play is Matt Duchesne, and I feel like he's going to bump somebody off of that top unit at some point during the course of the season. I don't know if it'll be Tange or Ginla, but it's one thing to watch to see if their power play time can stay steady with what it is right now. Yeah, man, Matt Duchesne. Colorado has scored 10 goals so far this season, and Duchesne has zero points to show for it, which must be so frustrating for his owners. We were hoping for a bounce back after his down year last year. Definitely not a great start. A bylow opportunity, if you ask me. Well, there you go. That's what Brian thinks. And sure, definitely this is the lowest he's been in a long, long time. And so if you can get him for, say, someone doing really well right now, hmm, let me think. Who's a good guy you could offer for Matt Duchesne right now? Brian, you got anyone? Oscar Lindbergh. <laughs> well, I hope that people in your league are savvier than that. But okay, maybe like a Justin Abdulkader? Would that be an interesting person to offer for Matt Duchesne? I'll bet you that that would be tempting to some people. That would be a really interesting offer, and it's something that I would be ready to do. If I had Abdulkader, I would happily flip him for Matt Duchesne. Well, there you go. Hopefully you won't eat your words at the end of the year. Not a great start, but we're not talking about Duchesne. We're talking about Iginla, and we're talking about Tange. And I will just say about Tange, Iginla is probably taking your league. Tange is the guy who might still be a free agent, as he is only 6.7% owned in ESPN at the moment. I mean, right now his line mates are Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog. And he's on the top power play. And he's getting really good minutes. Like, he's playing over 18 minutes a game, almost 19 minutes yesterday against Dallas. So Patrick Waugh has all the faith in the world in Alex Tange, and so should you. Shouldn't be a free agent in my opinion. I agree. That's something you were telling me all year last year, Elon, and I never made him one of my additions till really later on in the year. I am not ready to make that same mistake again this year. I would probably take him sooner rather than later because I do think he's still going to be able to put up another 20 goals if all goes well for him. He only needs like 100 shots to do it. Okay. And this next guy, I guess he's not even that old. Maybe it just seems that way because he's been in the NHL for so long and he's had such a bumpy road with injuries recently. Let's talk about David Krejci on Boston. We talked about him as a sleeper pick in drafts because he was ranked so low in Yahoo. And so far he's delivering in two games. He's got one goal and one assist. Keep in mind, this is a guy who had 69 points just two years ago for the Bruins. He's very comfortably in the top six playing with Pasternak and Bolesky on the top power play. Like, he's a big part of the Bruins' offense, and so far the Bruins haven't been doing that great this year, but Krejci is still putting up points. He's definitely someone that I think should be owned in your league. The people who drafted him last year might not be so eager to grab him again just because of how difficult he was to manage on your roster, having gone back and forth from day to day to healthy to injured all season long. But with a healthy David Krejci, you've got a player whose floor is 60 points. And being able to find that at the very end of your draft or even in your free agency pool is a real great opportunity that you can and should take advantage of. David Krejci should not be a free agent in probably like 90% of hockey pools. So if he's on your list, take a look at your team, see who you're really hoping to break out from like 40 to 70 points, drop that guy and add David Krejci. Okay, next we already talked about the Sharks, but let's just circle back to them again. We talked about Donskoy and Ward playing with these great players like Marlo and Thornton. So let's actually give Marlo and Thornton some credit because Marlo especially was someone that had a really off year last year and people were really down on him he was falling in drafts and so far two goals and one assist in two games and 10 shots on goal he had seven shots yesterday against the ducks these guys are i think gonna be just fine they're probably not available on free agency so i'm not even sure how much advice we really have to give right now the people who drafted marlo and thornton oh by the way thornton one goal one assist so far 
in these first two games. Just to say, these guys who drafted them should be very happy with themselves for taking the risk with an older San Jose Sharks player because these guys are, I'm sure, going to put up at least 60, Thornton probably 70, probably Marlowe also, maybe around 70 points this year. Yeah, you know, people got so down on San Jose after that really weird offseason they had, not this past one, but the one before that. And predictably, they struggled last year, though they still, you know, were right around that 40 win mark. So struggle is all relative. But I think guys like Thornton and Marlowe really took a hit in all that when it looks like the Sharks were going for like this youth movement. They took the captaincy away and seemed like they just really wanted all their young guys to step up. They let go of Niemi at the start of this year, too. But all the while, Thornton and Marlowe are still very good hockey players, and they fell so far in some drafts inconceivably far in many of them and they were probably great bargains for a lot of people and even if they weren't a bargain even if you drafted them as like a 60 65 70 point player you still have a really good shot at getting that the whole sharks team has looked very good through their first two games of the season and they haven't been easy games too they've been against la and anaheim and through those two games i mean it's just the start it doesn't mean a whole lot But in score-adjusted Corsi, they rank second in the league early on in the season. So something is going right so far in San Jose. Of course, they still dress guys like Mike Brown on a nightly basis or a near-nightly basis. So there's still a few kinks to be ironed out. But if you have Thornton and Marlowe, you should be feeling pretty good about owning them right now. Congratulations. And I guess when we're talking about older players, we have to talk about the old player to own in fantasy, the guy who's 42 years old and on the top line, top power play, getting great minutes, and who scored two goals yesterday for the Florida Panthers, Yarmir Yager. Just like, he's Yarmir Yager. He's going to play forever, and he's great. End of analysis. Well, end of analysis, except that somehow he wasn't drafted in our joint league that we're doing, our dynasty league, as it's called, even though it's not actually a dynasty league, so I don't know why they call it that. It's just a keep four. But Yager was undrafted last night. I was saying to Brian, actually, after having seen the results of the Buffalo game in the afternoon, I was like, I think that's Matt Molson, who we drafted really late. I'm not so sure if I want to have him on our roster. It's not so deep of a league, and Molson only played 13 minutes. And you know me, I'm a sucker for someone who's getting good opportunities from their coach. And I saw Yager was still a available. I thought maybe we should switch for Yager. Brian sort of joked to me about how I'm always wanting to drop people too quickly. Then after Yager potted his second goal for the Panthers last night and the Panthers had this huge blowout of the Flyers. They destroyed them 7-1. to one. Brian said pull the trigger and we did. So now we are proud Yarmer Yager owners and so should you be if he's a free agent in your league. Like I said he's playing on a great line. I think Jonathan Huberdeau is going to have an amazing season. Alex Barkov is great. Their power play is great. I think it's going to be a cool year for Florida, and I think Yager's going to do just fine. At least 50 points for sure if he stays healthy. Yep, you said it all. I think he's still an important part of that Panthers offense. He's playing with a lot of young talent who can skate the puck up for him while he waits to get it where he needs it. He's also still pretty good at passing the puck and getting to the right areas of the ice. So I am into Yarmir Yager this year. I remember we picked him up last year, Elon, towards the end of the season when he was with New Jersey still. And we were pretty disappointed in what happened while he was on our roster. This year, let's hope the tide turns for us and Yarmir Yager. Yeah, honestly, I'm not too concerned. I don't even think he's at the bottom of our roster right now. But no one cares about that. I've got still a couple more old guys I wanted to mention. We've got Eric Stahl, who we talked about in the offseason as someone who should have a bounce back year after having only like 50-something points last year with Carolina. He so far has a goal in two games, but he had nine shots yesterday against Detroit. None of them went in, but clearly a great sign for Eric Stahl. He played like 24 minutes yesterday also. Nothing to worry about with him. 
Yeah, those nine shots on goal, that was the first time in over two years that he has put nine or more shots on goal in a single game. And that's a really positive and encouraging sign from Eric Stahl. He used to do it like fairly regularly at the start of his career. He's actually done it 18 times. He's had nine or more shots on goal, but he hasn't done it since April of 2013. Now you can restart that clock. Hopefully he does it a few more times this season. I like what I've seen from him early on. Yeah, and here's a guy I didn't expect to be mentioning on this episode, but Christian Ehrhoff, I want to mention him. We thought he was like left for dead after his horrible year in Pittsburgh last year, but he's on LA and he doesn't have any points so far this year, though he does have seven shots in his two games. LA's been really bad, by the way. We'll get to that in a second. But the interesting thing to me is Ehrhoff is on the top power play right now. Jake Muzzin has been bumped and it's Ehrhoff and Doughty as a defenseman with Carter, Kopitar, and Gabrick. So I feel like that's a great position for him to be in. And if Ehrhoff is a free agent in your league and you're looking for like a depth defenseman like he's not for sure a must add but in certain situations he might be someone good to get on your team in our pretty deep cupful league elon i've had boshman as my first waiver claim my second one if boshman if someone else bids higher for him i am going to get Kristen Erhoff, and i think i'm gonna sneak him early on he has put a lot of shots on net through the first couple games of the season even though LA hasn't been scoring he's still been you know somewhat offensive and you have to figure once the goals start going in he is going to get an assist here and there especially being on that top power play unit I also don't feel like the Kings are itching to get Jake Muzzin back on that top unit I think everything's okay the way it is if Erhoff can handle his power play one role And if he stays there, there is a ton of value there. I don't know if you remember Elon, but back when he was signed by Pittsburgh, everybody was just going nuts for him, added him. We had questions for the first six months of the season. Is it time to drop Erhoff? And the answer eventually became, yes, it's time. I think maybe if we take all that excitement from last season and just grab like half of it and put it towards him this season, that could be a reasonable way to view him right now in his current situation with LA. Yeah, that seems fair for sure. And yeah, he was an over 30-point guy on Buffalo, on a really bad Buffalo team. And then he had like 50-point seasons and 40-point seasons with Vancouver and San Jose. So he's had a great career. He's 33 years old, still not over the hill, definitely not too late to grab Christian Ehrhoff, I'm sure, in most leagues. But okay, since we're talking about the Kings, I think it's time to move on to our next segment... Brian, a Keeping Carlson classic, let me ask you, does Jonathan Quick suck? Here's a guy who you had in your second goalie tier in the Schmorgoliesborg episode that we did in the preseason. And so far, through two games, Quick has totally destroyed his owner's chances of winning goalie categories. He had an 844 save percentage against San Jose, led in five goals, then led in four goals against Arizona. By the way, I'm going to mention Arizona a little bit later in the show. How long is this show going to be, by the way? But yeah, Jonathan Quick has been brutal. The Kings have been brutal. Is this a sign that maybe the Kings aren't the awesome team that we used to think they are? They didn't make the playoffs last year. They were close. They had a good run near the end of the year and almost made it in, but they fell short. I think a lot of people thought they would get back to their solid defensive ways this year, and Jonathan Quick would once again be a quality first goalie to have on your fantasy team. I'm sure a lot of people are questioning that now, Brian. The question is, should they be, or do you think it'll be okay? I think things are going to be okay for the Kings and Quick, but of course, I think it's more important for Quick that the Kings are good than it is for the Kings that Quick is good. And just what I mean by that is over his career, Jonathan Quick is a 915 save percentage. That is about league average at best. So I think he's been able to benefit a whole lot from playing on a very strong team in front of him. 
And you asked at the top, does he suck? I wouldn't say he sucks, but I don't think he's as good as a lot of people have made him out to be. And that is going to become clear if the Kings don't figure out how to get things going for the team as a whole sometime soon. Now, I'm not as concerned as maybe I should be when the Kings score only two goals against Martin Jones and Mike Smith on the Coyotes in back-to-back games. But hey, the Coyotes also beat Pittsburgh. I don't know what's in the water there to start the season, but something's happening. The opposite is happening to LA, but I don't expect they'll be down for long. I think everything is still going to be okay. Maybe they're not like a top five team in the league, like everyone thought they'd just bounce right up back to the top of the standings. Maybe they're still more of a bubble team until further notice, but I think they have all the pieces in place to be a competitive NHL team every night of the year, and Quick will pick up some wins as a function of that, no problem. So you don't think there's a risk that they're going to play Jonas Enroth and he might compete for starts? No, I don't think that's a risk. I don't know if Enroth is any better a goalie than Quick is, even though he did have a bit of hype a couple years back when he was maybe going to get the starter's role in Buffalo. And in fact, I would even look at this as maybe like a good buy-low opportunity on Jonathan Quick. You can get the Los Angeles Kings goaltender maybe for a lot cheaper than it would have cost you just a one week ago. So if you have a goalie to make a play for Jonathan Quick with, then maybe consider it or an extra forward, whatever. I might throw an offer to Quick's owner and see what happens. Look at you, Brian. Glass is always half full with you. It's like Quick is doing badly. That's great. You could get a good goalie for a discount. The people who have quick, I guess you're saying to hold on, not do anything crazy, but hopefully LA will be able to bounce back. Yeah, be patient. I think everything will work out in due time. You got to give the Kings at least like 10 or 15 games to start figuring things out. Okay, so let's say if you have Roberto Luongo, who backstopped Florida to that amazing win yesterday against Philadelphia. 38 saves, by the way, in that game for Luongo. If you had Luongo, would you be making a trade offer for Jonathan Quick right now? No, I like Luongo. I think his save percentage is probably going to be better than Quick's, and he might have like a handful fewer wins, but I still like him better overall. Okay, well, just because you had him in your third goalie tier, I think, in Schmore Goaliesborg, maybe you're bumping him up? I think, if anything, I'm bumping the Kings down a touch. Quick was in the second tier because he's, you know, a reasonably average goalie on what was supposed to be a very good team. If they don't turn out to be a very good team, if they're more like a Florida or a Columbus or even an Ottawa or Colorado, then Quick would drop down a tier. I don't see Luongo moving up, though. Okay, let me try one more then. What if you have Martin Jones, who has had a great start with San Jose? Two games, two wins. He shut out the Anaheim Ducks yesterday with 27 saves. If you have Martin Jones right now, Brian, are you going to pull the trigger and make an offer to trade him for Jonathan Quick? No, because I also think San Jose is going to do a pretty good job of picking up wins. I think if you're looking for Jonathan Quick, you're probably going to want to trade a goalie whose save percentage might be a little better than Quick's, but whose potential for wins might be a lot lower. And if wins are valuable in your league, that might be an area where Jonathan Quick can help you a little more than, say, Steve Mason. Okay, well, Mason just got killed yesterday. No one's going to want to trade for him right now if it's the type of reactionary person who's trading Jonathan Quick. Just trying to figure out who we could offer for this guy. I want to give some advice here. What about Ryan Miller? Would you trade Ryan Miller for Jonathan Quick? He had a good game yesterday. In a heartbeat, I would trade Ryan Miller for Jonathan Quick. I also might consider trading Cam Talbot for Jonathan Quick or Jonas Hiller for Jonathan Quick. But these are all like dream scenarios, I think. I don't know how many owners are going to be willing to quit on Quick so quickly, no pun intended, after probably drafting him, you know, in the first few rounds of their draft. Oh, some people are really reactionary and he's been really bad. He's cost them the week. So now's your chance, I guess. 
I've got to be honest, I'm a little bit concerned about him too, but you know me. I always get more concerned about the things that are happening. And something else to be concerned about are injuries. Let's just cover really quickly the injuries from this week. This is like the fourth headline of our week. I I guess we haven't been doing headlines. We've just been trying to burn through as many players as possible. But Brian, Robin Leonard apparently is going to be out long term for Buffalo. What a sucky way to start his tenure on his new team. So right now it's Chad Johnson manning the Nets. And to be honest, I don't even know who his backup is going to be. But as far as Johnson goes, so far he came in at the end of the game against Ottawa and he let in one goal on nine shots. And then yesterday against Tampa Bay, not a great game, let in four goals, 871 save percentage. Buffalo has yet to win. They're not really doing a good job of scoring. All that said, is there any reason why people should be rushing to pick up Chad Johnson as the new starting goalie on the Buffalo Sabres? No, there's absolutely no reason you should be rushing to pick up Chad Johnson unless you need him to get like minimum goalie starts so that like your Carry Price's stats can count towards your team. He is not a very good goalie. He had an 889 save percentage last year in almost 20 appearances with the Islanders. And this year, so far, he's stopped 35 of 40 shots for an 875 save percentage. His backup right now is Nathan Lewin, who is also not somebody worth watching. The guy worth watching right now is actually down in the HL. His name is Linus Allmark. He just made his first pro North American start last night with the Rochester Americans, and he stopped 38 of 39 shots against him. That's pretty good. So I feel like maybe he could get a shake if they don't find anyone to trade with to replace Leonard as a starting goalie. There's another guy in the Buffalo system that also interests me a little bit, and his name, Andre Makarov. He was one of the goalies last year for Buffalo's AHL affiliate in Rochester, His numbers were not quite sterling. He had just a 9.05 save percentage in 39 appearances, but he has shown some chops on the world stage before. So between him and Allmark, I'd be actually more interested in watching them to see if they get called up than I would be in making a play for Chad Johnson or Nathan Lewin. The other possibility is that the Sabres make a trade. The thing is, is that there just aren't a ton of goalies to go around this season. Ray Emery is with like his fourth team of the season already. J.F. Barubi was claimed off waivers from the Kings to the Islanders. And, you know, every other team seems to be holding on tight. The one team that I thought could be a good trade partner is the Toronto Maple Leafs to see if they might want to take this as an opportunity to shed Bernier or Reimer. But they have their own goaltending problems that they need to sort out first, probably. So unless they're super confident knowing which goalie they want in the long term, I guess I wouldn't really see them trading anybody to the Sabres anytime soon. The other super dark horse might be Ben Scrivens, who was sent down at the end of training camp this season. He's right now with Edmonton's AHL affiliate. And, you know, he's been in the NHL before. Maybe the Sabres would settle with him. Whichever goalie it is, they are going to have a lot of difficulty behind a porous defense and still a fairly weak and still developing offense. So, no, I do not want really anybody starting games for the Sabres. And that included Robin Leonard when he was healthy. Yeah, I remember you were saying that people should be careful about drafting Robin Leonard. And I'm surprised you haven't mentioned some of these goalies who are on teams that have three goalies right now. Like Calgary has Hiller, Orteo, and Ramo. And Minnesota has Dubnik, Backstrom, and Camper. So I haven't heard any rumors, but I guess those guys haven't been in any of the discussions. Well, Calgary was actually the first team that I thought of. And I haven't heard any rumors either, but Calgary trading one of their goalies, probably Jonas Hiller, because they hate him for some reason. They could be, I suppose, a potential trade partner, but haven't heard anything, don't know any inside info. 
should be interesting to watch because I get the impression that Buffalo does not really want to start the season on this note, doesn't want with this new group of players, this sort of rejuvenated team to have to go through a season similar to what they saw last year. Yeah, definitely a tough break for them and definitely a bit disappointing these first couple of games of his. Hopefully they'll be able to click. Also, Cody Franson, I've been really disappointed in. We talked about him on the show. I drafted him in a couple of leagues and he's not even their top power play defenseman. He got like 16 minutes of ice time yesterday. It's Rasmus Ristolainen getting the bulk of the minutes and the power play time. I know we're in the injury segment now, but really quickly, Brian, you think we should still hold on to Cody Franson for a little while longer? I do. I do. I know how down you are on him. I think you've sent me one message a day about how disappointed you are in him, especially because I think he was ranked so low in a lot of drafts. So if you did pick him, it was probably ahead of wherever he was ranked. So it probably feels even worse. But I still think that when push comes to shove, he is going to be okay. I think he's good for 30 plus points and he should have a fair amount of blocks and shots to go with it. I know Ristolainen has seen a lot of time in Buffalo early on and I imagine he's a guy that the Sabres do want to go to fairly often. But when it comes to offense, I still think Franson is probably their best bet. I don't know. Okay, we'll see. He was minus three yesterday against Tampa Bay. So we'll see if he'll even get the opportunity. But Elon, his goalie, we just went through this. His goalie is Chad Johnson. Fair. Ristolainen, though, was uh, even on plus minus (laughs) in a game when Tampa Bay lost 4-1. It's only one game. Touche. Okay. I'm a little concerned. But okay, the other injury I just wanted to bring up, really sad news, sucky news for James Wisniewski and the Carolina Hurricanes. He's going to be gone basically for the whole season. That's it. He came in. I remember Dauber was so high on him, like looking at his rankings from the draft guide. I thought, oh, wow, they think that Wisniewski's going to like lead the Hurricanes in the back end, maybe compete with Justin Falk. But clearly, no, he's not going to be there. And looking at Carolina's game yesterday, it's definitely now Justin Falk's team. If it wasn't before... Falk played almost 24 minutes. He led the team in power play time. The next highest defenseman in power play time were John Michael Lyles and Ryan Murphy. So this does seem like a pretty big hit for the Hurricanes. And Brian, do you think there's any value in one of these other Hurricanes defensemen with Wisniewski out of the picture? Probably not John Michael Lyles, although he will get some more ice time with Wisniewski out. I would keep an eye on Ryan Murphy. We talked about him a couple times over the last couple of years as being somebody who did have a pretty good pedigree coming out of the draft, but who just has not seemed to put it together yet. This could be a chance for him. And if he doesn't take advantage of it, you have to wonder if Noah Hennepin gets to take the reins a little earlier than planned. And of course, not take them away from Justin Falk, but still take on a bigger role than was probably going to be expected in his first season in the league. Of course, we'll see what happens at that nine game mark if he does last with the team the whole season. But keep an eye on his ice time for the next few games. Just see how much they're going to give him with Wisniewski out. Yeah, and I'll just point out, Justin Falk is so good. Probably underrated. Seven shots on goal yesterday against Detroit, and he scored a goal. And his first game of the year, he played for 30 minutes almost against Nashville. Got an assist there. Justin Falk is amazing. I love him. Glad I have him in one of my pools. Okay, and believe it or not, we still have more things we wanted to talk about this week. I'm not sure how long we can go, but we're going to keep going for a bit. But first, I want to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson. This is the first episode of the season, of the regular season at least. We've been going all summer, basically. This is our first official episode of the season, and I want to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson who are supporting the show for the upcoming season. We really appreciate everyone who has signed up. We're having a great time in our patron-only Facebook group. It is just on fire. Good questions all the time. Lots of discussions. Up-to-date 
fantasy news. It's basically like a mini DauberHockey.com. I don't know. Like, it's a really great place to be. Also, we've got our monthly patron casts. We've got one coming up in a couple of weeks, which we're really looking forward to. There's obviously going to be so much to talk about. And of course, if you decide to become a patron, you get that warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing that you're supporting a show that you like and listen to every week. But again, I just want to say thank you to our patrons who have been with us all summer long. It's been so fun and so amazing, and I have high hopes for this season. We're going to just take this podcast to the moon. And specifically, the new patrons I want to thank are Randy and Marley, a father-daughter tandem, Luke Todd, Michael Poirier, Nathaniel Elias, or Eliash, is it? I'm pretty sure that's Elias's brother. (laughs) That's pretty cool. And also a guy who didn't want me to say his real name, but instead to thank the managers of Pavel Katsyuk, Meow. Thanks to all of you for signing up. We really appreciate it. And if you're listening, you've never heard of our patron program, and you want more information, go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron for more information. Yeah, we are actually coming up on one year of having our Patreon page up, and it's been amazing. I remember, like, at the start, we had, like, six people in the Facebook group, and it's actually really fun, you know, like, getting to know everybody and having questions every so often, but now there are just questions all the time. If you haven't thought of a question to ask, it's probably been asked anyway in the Facebook group, and there's knowledge in there to be gained. It's a great place to be, so thank you to everybody who supports us, not just for supporting the show, but for being active and contributing members to the Facebook group too. It's an amazing read every day. Yeah, lots of fun conversations and debates. I definitely spend way too much time on that Facebook group, but it's awesome. Okay, we still have more people we wanted to talk about. Let's talk about some surprising line situations, like people that are in different places on their depth chart than we expected them to be. And I want to start with Kyle Ocposo on the New York Islanders. We assumed going into our fantasy drafts, or at least I did, that he was going to once again be playing on the top line with John Tavares, and he was going to potentially be a 60-70 point guy, maybe higher, considering the pace he's put up over this last couple of seasons. But unfortunately for me, and for anyone else who has drafted Kyle Ocposo, he has not been playing on that first line. It's been John Tavares with Anders Lee and Ryan Strom, and then Ocposo with Franz Nielsen and Josh Bailey. Quite the step down to be playing with Franz Nielsen and him as opposed to John Tavares. I guess the silver lining is that Ocposo is on the top power play and maybe another silver lining or maybe a bronze lining is that the Islanders haven't really been scoring that much over their first couple of games. So maybe it's time for a shakeup. I hope. Brian, what do you think about this whole situation? Yeah, Kyle Ocposo away from Tavares is going to cost you, I think, at least like 15 points. Although, hey, maybe we're wrong and it's just too early to say he has managed five shots on goal so far and he doesn't have a point. But like you said, Elon, a lot of Islanders don't have a point yet. In fact, no Islander has two points. And the most offensively inclined guys so far are Franz Nielsen with six shots and Kyle Ocposo with five shots. And all the other shot leaders on the Islanders... They're on the blue line. You've got Boychuk with nine shots, Hamannik with seven, and Dahan with five. So Ocposo and Franton seem to be generating their fair share of at least shots on goal. We'll see if goals start to follow, but even if they do, I am not nearly as pumped about Kyle Ocposo playing without Tavares as I would be for Ocposo playing with Tavares. I feel like everybody who drafted him probably drafted him like three or four rounds earlier than they needed to. Now that we have this news, I don't know if it'll last. I'm hoping it won't, but I think there's a decent chance that it does. So be wary if you're considering buying low on Ocposo or picking him up in your free agent pool or keeping him on your roster in favor of like another 60-point player who might happen to be in free agency, like David Krejci, perhaps. Mm. 
Well, but of course, with every player not playing with Tavares, that's another player playing with John Tavares. And Ryan Strom right now is that guy playing on the right side. Do we take those 15 points that we took away from Ocposo and give them to Ryan Strom? Well, I think Strom is already due to improve on the 50 points he scored last year with or without Tavares. I think it's going to help that he's with Tavares. I'd be really excited if he could crack 60 points this year. And of course, it'll help his chances if he gets to play with one of the best centers in the whole NHL. Yes, we definitely have to keep our eyes on the New York Islanders lines. Again, they haven't been scoring many goals, so things could change before our next episode. We'll definitely keep you updated if they do. Okay, it wouldn't be an episode of Keeping Carlson if we didn't mention the Dallas Stars top line and the guy playing with Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn is not Patrick Sharp. It's not Valerie Nishushkin. It's not Jason Spezza. It's Cody Egan. This is a guy who was there last year and produced while he was there, but never could last. And now he's there again to start the year. And yesterday against Colorado, he scored two goals, took four shots. And believe it or not, he's also on the top power play with those guys. And he got a power play point yesterday. Brian, is this year any different than last year? Like, is now the time that you grab Cody Eakin because he's going to stick on that top line on Dallas? His numbers are not unimpressive. Like, even last season, playing a lot of it away from the first line, he had 19 goals, almost a 20-goal guy, and got 40 points in 78 games played. So not too shabby. Is this the year that he sticks on that top line? I don't think so. I don't think Cody Eakin is a part of the anatomy of the top line of a Stanley Cup contender, which is what the Dallas Stars want to be. I read something from Mike Haka, who's a Stars beat writer, that said he started on that top line for their first game of the year against Pittsburgh because they wanted him to match up against Sidney Crosby. They thought that he boosted that line's defensive ability and would help shut down the offense of the players that they're seeing on the ice against them, while also adding a bit more opportunity for Ben and Sagan to be able to produce. So being the defensively responsible one on that line, he stayed there, though, for the game against Colorado, who does not have anyone like Sidney Crosby, although they do still have a very offensively potent lineup. So maybe this will be a thing against teams with really fantastic or elite level top sixes. But beyond that, I just can't see it really sticking. You can go ahead and add him, but I don't think you'll be having him on your roster for very long if you do. And Brian, before I continue, breaking news. It's past 11 o'clock now, which means our waiver claims have processed and looks like both you and I are proud owners of Francois Beauchemin in the cupful. Best two bucks I ever spent. Well, actually, now that I look at the free agent auction report, looks like you didn't need to spend that two bucks because no one else bid on him. And actually, I didn't need to spend the one buck I spent because no one bid on him. I could have bid zero. But your lost cupful competitors. Beauchemin's going to get 20 blocks in the next game. He's going to win me that category. Okay, some other line situations I wanted to talk about, but I guess we really don't have time for it. We still have a lightning round to get to, but I'll just mention Ryan Murray has been on the top power play in Columbus over Jack Johnson, which was very surprising. That's something to watch. We talked about Toivo already bouncing around in Chicago. Edmonton has been shuffling their lines a lot. Basically, just don't bank on the Edmonton lines right now. We were talking about Slepyshev playing with Hall and McDavid. That's over. That's not happening. Now McDavid and Hall aren't even playing together. So you'll definitely want to check out the Frozen Pools tool at Dabber Hockey to see what's up with the Edmonton lines. Also, I just read this morning that Milan Lucic is no longer practicing on the LA Kings top line. It looks like Dustin Brown is going to be there with Gaborik and Kopitar. Lucic will still have a pretty decent role playing with Jeff Carter on the second line, at least now. We'll see if that lasts. And finally, some news that I'm not too happy with because I picked him up as a free agent after my draft in one of my leagues, but apparently Sergei Plotnikov was bumped 
from playing with Evgeny Malkin in Pittsburgh's last game. So he's no longer in the top six as of now. David Perron is there on the second line instead. So maybe that's additional value for Perron, though Pittsburgh still hasn't figured out how to score goals this year. Just Phil Kessel scored yesterday. And I don't think I would bank on any Pittsburgh guys right now until I see how the lines shake out. And of course, I mean any Pittsburgh guys that are wavering between the second and third lines. Obviously, I think you should probably stick with Crosby and Malkin and Hornqvist and Kessel. Yeah, I did notice Kunitz up there on the top line with Crosby and Kessel for a little bit last game, so that might be something worth watching for leagues in which he dropped way off everybody's radar. And just going back to the Columbus situation, Elon, that's the other thing I want to comment on. Ryan Murray stepping up into that role is kind of big news, and it's early, sure. But not only because Jack Johnson might not be the number one guy in Columbus, but that the number two guy that they went to after Jack Johnson was not David Savard, who a lot of people also put a lot of stock in in drafts early this year. So if Ryan Murray can hold on to that spot, that could be a good find for people looking to add another defenseman, maybe to replace James Wisniewski, who got injured, or some other guy on their roster, whatever. Ryan Murray, that should be an interesting story to watch over the course of the season. We've liked him in bursts in the past. We'll see if he can do anything that he can sustain over the course of the next 20, 30 games. Yeah, in yesterday's game against the Rangers, the power play time was split pretty evenly with these defensemen. Jack Johnson, Ryan Murray, and David Savard all played around four minutes on the power play. So definitely this will be something we'll have to monitor and see who takes the reins there. And Brian Plotnikov, really quickly... Should I drop him at this point, or do you think it's worth holding on for a little bit longer? No, I think you can drop Plotnikov. I feel like there's enough options at this time of year that either you can find somebody else, or if you're worried about losing him, everyone else is distracted with all the other players who are actually putting up points early on. What a bummer. Well, going into the year, people were excited about a few of these guys. Panarin was one of them. Plotnikov was another. I think we got a lot of questions on Twitter asking if they should uh, pick Panarin or Plotnikov, or I guess Toivo Teravainen. Hopefully we didn't say Plotnikov. I don't think we did. I think I was pretty high on Panarin the whole time. So I'm feeling pretty happy about that. That's why we started the show with him. And I still have a lightning round I want to get to because there's still a few players. But okay, really quickly, I wanted to talk about some goalie tandem updates. First of all, in Dallas, it looked like Niemi had a great start. Things were looking good and not so good for Lettinen. But then yesterday, Niemi had a stinker. So I would say all bets are off right now. We're back to square one in Dallas. Yeah, I still like him to come out with the number one job by the end of the season and still think he might be a good guy to add early on if he's still available or maybe buy low on if somebody still doesn't think that he's going to see many games or might need a goalie who's going to start more games that you can offer from your own team for Niemi. But yeah, last night was pretty unfortunate and it looks like Dallas is still trying to figure out their defensive situation. They're running out of time. They better get on this soon. Yeah, well, and hey, if you are planning on buying low on Niemi, now's the perfect time, as he let in six goals yesterday against Colorado, ended the game with a 786 save percentage. Pretty brutal. Okay, then we go to St. Louis, and I'm not sure if I could say I called this on the show. I'm not sure if I said it on Schmore Goalsburg. I might have to go back and listen, but I did call it by drafting Brian Elliott as my third goalie in the cupful, and right now I'm feeling pretty good about it because both Elliott and Allen have gotten a game. Elliott got a win and had a 958 save percentage. Jake Allen yesterday got a loss, let in three goals, 842 save percentage. So early goings, it looks like Elliott will probably be getting starts over the next couple of weeks. I guess the plan with St. Louis, they've been saying, is they're going to be rotating them for the first month or two to decide. But I don't know. I had a gut feeling going into the year that Allen, he, he couldn't do it last year. Why should we expect him to be able to do it this year? Elliot's been solid. I think Elliot's going to be the number one guy in St. Louis. And I think if you have Jake Allen, you should be very concerned right now. 
I don't know about being very concerned, but you should be somewhat concerned. He didn't take the step forward last year that everyone was hoping. In fact, it seemed like he took a big step backwards. So he's at least got to get back to just be like on the level in the St. Louis goaltending situation. Brian Elliott has proven that he can be a reasonably steady goalie over the course of a full year. And I don't see why the Blues would waver on him if they're not sure what they have yet in Allen. I'm sure they'll give him a few chances throughout the course of the year. But right now, Elliot definitely has the upper hand. It seems like it's his job to lose. Yeah, and on a great St. Louis team, I think it's going to be pretty hard for him to lose that job. Now let's go to Calgary. We were talking about, in surprise, how Kari Rama was going to be the starting goalie to start the year. And lucky for him, he got that first start to start the year. And he let in five goals and had a horrible game against the Vancouver Canucks. So definitely not how Rama and his owners wanted to start the year. And then Hiller got the next start again against the Canucks. And he did much better. The Flames beat the Canucks yesterday, and a lot in part due to Jonas Hiller. He had 30 shots against, stopped 28 of them. That was enough. So hopefully people didn't go too crazy over Kyrie Ramo after that opening announcement. I know, Brian, you said from the beginning that you didn't think Kyrie Ramo was a very good goalie. So you definitely wouldn't have been one of these guys to make the mistake. But it's definitely not too late to grab Jonas Hiller. He's actually only 66% owned in ESPN. And Brian, I know you think that he should be the starter there. Yeah, I'd say it until I'm blue in the face. Jonas Hiller is Calgary's best goalie. What they choose to do with him is their call, but I know who I would start if I were in charge. Okay, and then finally, another goalie who we were maybe a little bit surprised that it was announced that he was going to be the starter going into the year, Cam Ward on Carolina. He not only was the starter to go into the year, but he also had a pretty decent game. To start off against Nashville, Carolina lost that game, but he only let in two goals on 25 shots. Then yesterday against Detroit, not as good at all. Let in four goals on 19 shots, which is a 789 save percentage. A real clunker for Cam Ward. I'm reading on Roto World now. They're just tearing him apart in their comment about that game. So definitely, I think Eddie Lack is going to get his chance now to shine for Carolina. And I think Carolina is a good team. Like Carolina is an underratedly good team. If you look at the players they have, and they've been able to score some goals, at least yesterday against Detroit. So I wonder if Eddie Lack would be a sneaky ad right now because Cam Ward really blew it. Yeah, Carolina has looked really good in their first couple games of the season. And not only did Cam Ward just have a terrible game last night against Detroit, but he did it while his team was dominating play. Like the shot count was 22 to 2 or something like that after the first period of play. And then to give up the first goal for your team, how deflating is that? So not only did he not have a good game, but it was way out in the open for everyone to see because he was the only one dressed for Carolina to visibly have a terrible game. And all that does, I think, is expedite the inevitable, which is that Eddie Lack is going to start a chunk of games, as many as the Canes will give him. We'll see how long it takes them to give up on Ward. They've had him for so long. They've had him longer than they should, maybe longer than they've wanted. It's hard to say. Whenever management decides that they're ready to move on completely from Cam Ward, that is when Eddie Lack will get his starts, and Cam Ward seems to be helping them make that decision, hopefully sooner rather than later, for anybody who owns Eddie Lack or who has him available in their leagues. He would be an excellent third goalie to have and might be even an excellent second goalie to have by the time your fantasy playoffs roll around. So there's our goalie tandem update for the week. I don't know, maybe that'll have to become a regular segment on the show. But finally, let's get to the lightning round. I still have a few guys that I want to mention, Brian. I know you have some guys that you want to talk about. So why don't we just go back and forth? You start. 30 seconds per player. Go. 
Okay, I'm going to start with a player that I actually had in the young players section making noise early on in the season, except he hasn't scored any points. So maybe you haven't heard the noise he's making, but Colton Pareko is looking pretty good on the St. Louis Blue Line early on this season. He's a 22-year-old rookie, third-round pick in 2012, 86th overall. He put up seven points in 17 games played after turning pro last year with Chicago of the AHL, and he had good scoring numbers in college for a defenseman, too. He started the year on the third pairing after being one of the preseason's leading scorers, and he's also seeing some power play time early on this year. I feel like the Blues want him to mature. I think they want him to come along. He represents maybe a shift in philosophy for what they want from a defenseman. The scouting report on him is that he plays mature. He likes to join the rush. He has a big shot. All good things. Like I said, right now he's on the third line, but he is still getting a fair amount of ice time, at least more than his partners who are cycling between the press box so far in Robert Bertuzzo and another rookie, Joel Edmondson. But that power play time he's getting makes him someone worth watching. I would keep my eye on him in very deep leagues. Yeah, I see he's been playing on the second power play unit with uh, Alex Pietrangelo and Schwartz and Laterra and Troy Brower. Not bad for someone I had never heard of before this episode. I hope that's what our listeners are saying too. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about a trio of guys on the Arizona Coyotes, a team that we thought wouldn't be able to score any goals this year. And so far, they've scored six goals in two games and they have two wins. Very surprising. Wins against LA and Pittsburgh too. Those should be tough games. I guess we'll see if Pittsburgh and LA are able to bounce back themselves. But I want to talk about the top line or maybe the top two lines. I guess I'll just talk about the players that have interested me. But there's one line, Hansel, Tobias Ryder, and Anthony Duclair. All guys who I'm sure were not drafted in your league. Martin Hansel has three assists in those two games. Tobias Ryder with two goals and an assist. Anthony Duclair with two assists. Then there's also another line that has Vermette and Max Domi, which is someone who maybe was drafted because of the hype after the draft, but he has a goal and an assist in two games. I guess the ones I really want to zone in on are Martin Hansel and Tobias Ryder. Those are the ones that excite me. Hansel was a guy who was valuable in fantasy. He just was always injured. But through these two games, not only does he have three assists, two assists in the first game and one assist yesterday against Pittsburgh, he also has seven shots on goal. So he's someone that should be able to score. He's getting power play time. Time. I think he's great. And Tobias Ryder, a reader, like I said, two goals and assists through two games. He was someone that we were noticing at the end of last year because he was taking a lot of shots when I was ranking my available free agents in my deep leagues by guys who had who had the most shots in their last, say, 15 or 30 days. Reader was right at the top of the list, and he's keeping it up right now. He's got six shots in these two games. Like I said, three points. I think both of these guys are worth watching. And maybe also Anthony Duclair, Max Domi, if you don't have him, he might be someone you want to grab. I don't know, actually, Brian, I want to get your thoughts on this. Is this just a mirage? Like, is Arizona going to not score any goals like we were expecting? Or is it worth at least looking at these guys, the top scorers on Arizona, as guys you might want to get into your roster? I wouldn't trip over myself to add Coyotes. It's really great that they've scored six goals in their first two games, but I expect them to average fewer than three goals a game, like much closer to two probably over the course of the season. They're still not a very good team. They've got a lot of work to do, but it is nice to see some guys picking up points early on. Hensel also has value. It's worth mentioning in leagues that count hits. Yeah, four hits so far in the two games. Yeah, so like it's really nice to see all this. I don't know what else there is to say, really. I'm not going to hurry up to grab Reader or Domi or Duclair, but I might watch them to see. I guess if I'm someone who owns Mike Camilleri, I shouldn't really be thumbing my nose at the leading scorer on Arizona right now. Yeah, and just 
just to say, Martin Hansel, the game's played numbers are atrocious, but if you just look at the points per game, like last year he had 24 points in 37 games, the year before 40 points in 65 games, the year before 23 and 39, like he's a consistent over half point per game guy. These are looking like 50 to 55 point paces. So while he's healthy, he may be a guy that can help you offensively. And like you say, if he can help you with hits, it's a win-win. All fair points to make, Elon. Let me end the show with just a few guys left who caught my eye in the first few nights of NHL games. The first is, and I don't know how to say his name yet, Matthias Janmark is what I'm going to guess it is. He is on the third line in Dallas, and he was able to score two goals on four shots in the Stars' two initial games of the season. I don't expect a whole lot, but I'm actually surprised that I haven't gotten a lot more questions about him from patrons or on Twitter. I feel like he's someone who's probably available in your pool, and I think he does possibly one day have top six upside, but for now, that top six is pretty crowded. I could conceivably see if Cody Eakin drops out of there, then Yanmark might get a turn. Another player looking for a turn in the top six who had a pretty decent start to the year, a linemate of Matthias Yanmark. Alish Hemsky. Aren't you excited to talk about him again this year? Well, we were very excited about him at the start of last year, and then he was just brutal, and he fell off the map, and then I remember you just kept on wanting to mention him every single time he, like, he got a random assist, and it did get kind of annoying, because I thought, forget about Hemsky, he sucks. But yeah, great start to the year for him. I'm still concerned about his ice time, to be honest. Yeah, that's a fair concern, playing on the third line as he is, but so far he's still been able to manage three points, a goal and two assists in his first two games with six shots on goal, and two of those have been power play points too. So I like the start that he's having. I don't think he should be left for dead necessarily. All that time that I talked about him last season, it's not like I've totally forgotten about him. I'm just trying to make you happy when we record the show. So I'm still a fan of his. And I wasn't planning on mentioning it, but a guy in a similar vein who plays on Montreal now, Alexander Semin, not such a bad start for him either this season. But okay, I know that's not what we're talking about. I'll move to the last player in my lightning round. That is Mike Hoffman. Welcome to the top line, Mike Hoffman. Yeah, it's been a really, really great line with Hoffman, Stone, and Tourist. In fact, the top two lines in Ottawa have scored 11 points over the last two games. And that's really exciting for a team that's had trouble scoring at times. But one of the concerns about Ottawa right now is that that second line with Ryan Zabanejad and Lazar is getting shelled when they're on the ice. And something is probably going to need to be shuffled around sooner rather than later. And that might affect Hoffman standing on his own line. But where he is right now, things are just clicking. He's managed three assists and five shots on goal in his first two games of the year. And he's looked really good doing it. I believe he had a shot ring off the post. He has this amazing one-timer that he gets down on one knee and just fires at the net. Everyone was so excited about him last year when he started scoring goals, and he was one of the Sens' best goal scorers last season, notching 27 goals in 79 games, but never getting the credit he deserved for it. There was a lot of hype for him then. It died down a lot over the summer as Mark Stone sort of took charge of the Ottawa Senators' hype train, but Hoffman is creeping back up, so he might still be available in your leagues, but I don't think he's going to last very long. Of the guys I've mentioned in this lightning round, he's probably the one that I am the most interested in grabbing for my own team. Yeah, I mean, Mike Hoffman shouldn't be available in your league. You must be in a really shallow league if he's not available. And you mentioned Mark Stone and Kyle Turris. Just what an amazing start to the year. Stone's got a goal and three assists. Turris has three goals and one assist. So if you drafted any of those guys, you were smart to do so. At least it's looking like that at the start. Man, Mark Stone, he was among the league leaders 
for the second half of last season, and he's starting the year in the same vein. I wonder if we're going to be talking about him that high at the end of the year. I guess it's maybe too early to project that, but so far, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Mark Stone hit 70 points. And Kyle Turris. Yeah, if that line keeps clicking, then all three of them could do pretty well. But we'll see how the Sens manage the rest of their lineup and how that might affect those three playing together. In the past, you know, we saw that MacArthur, Ryan, Turris line stay together for pretty much a whole season, even though the rest of the team was having problems. And they all did very well on it. So maybe these guys get to stick together too. And finally, with that, we've come to the end of our first mega episode, the first episode, the premiere episode of the 2015-16 NHL fantasy season. Thanks so much to everyone for tuning in. This is classic Keeping Carlson. This is what we've been excited to do all summer, just talking about the results, talking about who's been doing well, analyzing the ice time and the power play time. It's our bread and butter. So if you liked this episode, we plan to churn out ones like these, maybe not as long, but all throughout the season. So you want to get on board. Subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcasting app you use. I use Pocket Casts on Android. My wife uses Downcast on iPhone. There's lots of options. There's so many ways to listen to the show nowadays we live in a great time 2015 i love it also we are very active on twitter you could follow us there at keeping carlson brian was tweeting up a storm yesterday during the nhl action a lot of fun things there plus you could also ask us questions on twitter if you want to just you know throw at us who who should i take Anthony emmy or jimmy howard you know we'll throw you our answer brian what would your answer be my answer would be, what are your categories? When <laughs> okay. you're asking us a question, you should probably mention those two. Yeah, okay, that's fair. But yeah, so follow us on Twitter, throw us some questions. If you want to do us a favor, you could go on iTunes, give us a five-star review. That would be amazing. That helps raise the profile of the show, and you don't have to actually tell your league mates about us. You could just tell the world anonymously. Finally, like I already mentioned in the middle of the show, you could sign up to be a patron of Keeping Carlson at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But that's it for me. Let's cue up that outro music. And Brian read us the credits. This show was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from War on Ice, Hockey Reference, Pocalytics, Dauber Hockey, of course, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Also, three more names I want to add in before the end of the show. Watch them. Kadri, Fanuf, Granlund, and Johnson. Eric Johnson. That was four names. Okay. We'll talk about them next week if they're still relevant. I'm sure they will be. Okay. Good job, Brian. And we'll be back at all of you with another episode in a week. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sand.